Praise God and welcome to Eve's Corner. Eve's Corner is a show of enlightenment, encouragement, and empowerment for God's people. So I'd like to say thank you for joining. And before we begin, we're going to be coming today from uh, the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Matthew, the fifth chapter. And just before we read our scripture, we're going to offer up a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you now, God, for your many blessings. We thank you, God, for watching over us and for keeping us, Lord. We pray now, God, that you would have your way on today. Have your way in us, God, and have your way through us in the name of Jesus. We pray, God, that you would touch everyone who is connected to this ministry on today. Meet every need, God. Let your word come forth with clarity and understanding. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So our topic for today is when doubt hinders your destiny. When doubt hinders your destiny. We're coming from Matthew, the fifth chapter, and we'll begin reading at verse number 21. When Jesus had gone across by boat to the other side of the lake, A vast crowd gathered around him on the shore. The leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, came and fell down before him, pleading with him to heal his little daughter. She is at the point of death, he said in desperation. Please come and place your hands on her and make her live. Jesus went with him and the crowd thronged behind While he was still talking to her, messengers arrived from Jairus' home with the news that it was too late. His daughter was dead and there was no point in Jesus coming now. But Jesus ignored their comments and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just trust me. Then Jesus halted the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go on with him to Jairus' home except Peter, James, and John. When they arrived, Jesus saw that all was in great confusion. With unrestrained weeping and wailing, he went inside and spoke to the people. Why all this weeping and commotion, he said. The child isn't dead, she is only asleep. They laughed at him in bitter derision, but he told them all to leave, and taking the little girl's father and mother and his three disciples, he went into the room where she was lying. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Get up, little girl. She was 12 years old, and she jumped up and walked around. Her parents just couldn't get over it. Jesus instructed them very earnestly not to tell what had happened and told them to give her something to eat. The record of the daughter of Jairus is a combination of miracles that were going on with Jesus in the Gospels. So it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This story immediately follows Jesus casting out the legion of demons into the swine. And if we know the story, the swine then ran into the lake and they drowned themselves. 
So Jairus, a patron or ruler of a Galilee synagogue, had asked Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter, who in Mark and Luke's account was dying. But in Matthew's account, it says that she had already died. As they were traveling, on the way to Jairus' house, a sick woman, the woman that we know of as the woman with the issue of blood, she had been sick for 12 years, but she came along and, and touched Jesus' clothes and she was healed of her sickness. And Jesus stopped to turn around and, and to tell her, you've been healed of all your sins. Have faith in the Lord. So moments later, a messenger comes with the news that Jairus' daughter had died. And Jairus was advised not to trouble Jesus anymore because she was already dead. However, Jesus did respond and Jesus told him, be not afraid, only believe. Jesus continued to the house where he informed all those present that the girl was not dead, but asleep. He then put the crowd of people out. He took the child's parents and he took the disciples that he had brought with him. And he went upstairs and he restored this little girl to life. So first of all, I want to break down today's title, When Doubt Hinders Your Destiny. Let's first talk about what is a hindrance. So a hindrance is anything that provides resistance, delay, or obstruction to something or to someone. A hindrance uh, can also be called an impediment, an obstacle, a barrier, any obstruction, a handicap. It could be called a hurdle, a restraint. It could be called a restriction or a limitation. It could be called an interference. So some common hindrances uh, are, number one, to the body of Christ, is failing to understand your purpose or your destiny. See, we have to realize that God has made you unique and there is nobody like you on the earth. You're created for an assignment on this earth. So the first assignment is to know him. Then to reflect his glory in what you do. So know that the scripture makes it clear that there is no job or vocation that's less spiritual than any other. Whatever you do with a heart of integrity to serve God, whatever you're doing in the body of Christ is just as important as what the next person is doing, because that's what God has called you to do. The message Bible um, gives an interpretation of Romans 12 and 1 that says, Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, going to work, walking around, whatever you're doing, giving to the community, however you show up and make it count, then you place that before God as an offering. It's what you're doing for Christ. In Colossians, the third chapter, verses 23 and 24, the Bible tells us that whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So therefore, it's not about people. Everything that we do should be about God. Now, the second common hindrance is failing to understand the rules of engagement. And now this is a big one, people of God. The first thing that you have to remember is that you do have a real live enemy and he wants to kill you. First, he wants to steal from you. Then he wants to destroy you. And he wants to leave you with nothing physically, spiritually, as well as emotionally. Then he wants you dead. The Bible says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of of darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realm. This is from Ephesians uh, 6 and 12. So your adversary, according to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, is walking around like a roaring lion. Who is your adversary? The devil, Satan. And he's seeking whom he may devour. And don't you know, he'll use whomever he can to hinder you. He'll use whomever he can to get at you. The third hindrance that we have, people of God, is the failure to understand the influence of spiritual strongholds. This is another big one. Paul says that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. So on the contrary, 
They have divine power to demolish strongholds. You deal with some strongholds. You, you deal with some issues. But guess what? You have weapons that are given to you by God that have the power to demolish those strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captivity every thought that makes it obedient to Christ. That's how we submit ourselves to God. We take captivity. We take into captivity those thoughts. So a stronghold is a spiritual fortress where Satan and his legions go for protection. These fortresses exist in our thought patterns and ideas that govern us in our homes, in our workplaces, in our churches even, as well as in our communities and across the nation. So if you understand the first two chapters of Genesis, as well as other places in the Bible, then we find that God created us with seven basic needs. The first is dignity. The second is authority. The third is blessing and provision. The fourth is security. The fifth is purpose and meaning. The sixth is freedom and boundaries. And number seven is love and companionship. So whenever we seek to meet one or more of our basic needs outside of God's plan for us or outside of God's design, then we've set the stage for the development of a generational stronghold. So although the ideas and the concepts that you may have about life and about people and about how certain things should be, your ideologies and your concepts, they, you think they may come from Big Mama because that's how Big Mama did and that's how Big Mama talked and that's what Big Mama said about men and that's what Big Mama said about raising kids. Just because Big Mama said it, it does not make it right. And so a lot of times the way that you see Big Mama act or the way that you saw your father act or how he treated women a lot of times those ideas and concepts come from them. But according to the word of God, just because it came from them, it does not make it right. It does not make it the gospel. So you have to pull down those strongholds. God wants to release the full measure of his love in our lives so that we no longer have to operate out of strongholds. We want to do what's right, not just do what we saw somebody else do or treat people the way we saw somebody else treat them. We want to do what's right. In Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 16 through 18, Paul prayed that we would experience this kind of fullness. And he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You can't go around the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, you can't even understand the vastness of the love of God. But he prayed that we be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. And that's what we need in order to deal with these strongholds. In, in other words, when we fully have an understanding and a relationship with God. We understand who he is and we allow him to indwell in us fully. Even those secret places that we don't talk about with other folks, God begins to change us from the inside out. The love of God, when you truly have a relationship with him, causes a change on the inside that's reflected on the outside. So then you might ask, where do these strongholds come from? Well, I'm glad you asked. So basically, the sequence of how these strongholds develop in an individual is like this. The first thing is you begin to have thoughts that are ungodly. They are satanic inspired thoughts and they're introduced into your mind for whatever reason. You get these thoughts in your mind, whether it's based on something you saw or something you heard in the past, whatever the case, you begin to have ungodly thoughts. Then the next thing that happens is you begin to entertain the thoughts. And when you entertain the thoughts, it brings out certain emotions. It reminds you of how you felt or it makes you feel a certain way right then. Just thinking back on certain negative things or thinking about something negative that the enemy tells you you ought to do or you ought to say to somebody else. The third thing is we begin to give in to those emotions. And eventually it causes a person to take some sort of action. So you go from having a thought which causes an emotion, and now you're going to take some type of an action. 
You're going to do something based on what you think and how you feel. Then the fourth thing that happens is that we continue to participate in those ungodly actions. And that causes you to develop a habit. If you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, now you have a habit that came from an ungodly thought that caused you to feel a certain way and have certain emotions. You took action and now you keep doing these certain things, these certain actions. You keep doing them over and over and over. So whether it's in a relationship, whether it's it's in how you act on a job, whether it's in how you act in your home or how you treat your family members, you now have these habits that simply came from a thought that developed into emotions cause you to take an action. Now you got bad habits. And guess what? As the habit continues to develop, there is a stronghold. A stronghold is built, which came from something as simple as a thought that you didn't put out of your mind when he came. So now, if you recognize that you're operating under the influence of a stronghold, you have to learn, we have to learn to renounce it in prayer. We have to repent for what it is that we've done. We have to ask God to forgive us and we have to ask others to forgive us if we've hurt people. And then you have to resist returning to that same stronghold or to that same spirit. You have to receive the power of God in order to forsake it. And then you have to ask God to make you sensitive so that you recognize when you're tempted to act up that way or when you're tempted to act out that way. The way that you get free is by asking God to fill you with the power of his Holy Ghost or fill you with his Holy Spirit. Because if the, the spirit of the Lord is dwelling inside of you, then you've got power because you can't do this by yourself. You need the Holy Ghost to be in control of your life. You cannot control yourself. It takes the Holy Spirit to control us. But once the spirit of God is in control the stronghold will not dwell there. It can't dwell there. So that lying spirit that you may have, that deceptive spirit that you may have, that spirit that causes you to want to steal, that spirit that causes you to want to hurt others, that lust demon that you got, that spirit that causes you to want to get them before they get you, it all has to go in Jesus' name. If the power of God is dwelling on the inside of you, you can't continue to hurt people on purpose. You can't continue to lie. You can't continue to steal. You cannot continue to deceive when the Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside of you. So when you encounter another person who is influenced by a religious spirit or by a stronghold, your first response for them has to be prayer. You can't get it out by talking about them. You can't get it out by pointing your finger and them saying, oh, you got a demon. That's not how it goes away. You have to first respond in prayer. And then you ask God for wisdom. You ask God for love for that person. And then ask God to set that person free. If this person has done something to offend you, because a lot of times that's what happens in families. We become offended and not recognizing that it's a spirit that is a stronghold that's causing a person to act a certain way. So don't become offended. You pray for them. And you got to forgive them. You forgive them and you don't let that person's actions and you don't let their attitude keep a grip on you. Some of y'all are still mad at some relatives who've been dead for years. Let it go. Forgive them and move on. And you don't do it for them. But you do it for you. You've been hindered for a mighty long time now. And these people are going on. You have to forgive them and let it go. Let your life be based on a genuine faith. Rooted in the love of God. Rooted in the life of Jesus. And the example that he gave us. And most of all. Continually become transformed. By the renewing of your mind, as we're told to do in the book of Romans, 12th chapter and the second verse, this is your best insurance against any spiritual influences that don't come from God. As you develop a strong relationship with God through the power of his spirit, through the love of God, not only will you become empowered 
to bring the kingdom to those around you, whether it's at work or in the church, not only does it empower you to be a representation of Christ in your family, but it will also help you to be able to resist Satan's sabotage. And that's what he comes to do. He comes to sabotage us. He ain't going to just directly tell you, I want to kill you. He ain't going to just directly tell you, I want to destroy you. But he'll send some sort of sabotage in your direction to get you thrown off. And that's what doubt is. Doubt is sabotage. It's just another trick of the devil that will cause a stronghold in your life. So it doesn't matter if you're doubting on your own. It doesn't matter. If it comes in the form of fear, it doesn't matter if it's caused by doubt from, from words that are spoken to you by other people. And sometimes other people will say really negative things to you. Is it because they don't know better? Is it because they don't care? It doesn't matter. The words that we say to other people can cause an effect. And the doubt that some the, somebody planted in your head probably has caused an effect on you and it causes you to act a certain way all the time. If somebody told you when you were little, you ain't going to never be nothing. You ain't going to never have nothing. You're not smart. You're not this. You're not that. You're not pretty. You're not light enough. You're not dark enough. You're not cute enough. Then the likelihood is those negative words that they spoke to us have caused us to have some thoughts, to feel a certain way, to act a certain way, and continue with some bad habits because of something that they said to us. Well, guess what? It's all a hindrance to your destiny. So when you need a move of God, like Jairus did, you don't have time for anything or anybody that's not on your team. Since you know that God has a plan for your life, you don't have to wonder if he wants you to be healed, you don't have to wonder if he wants you to be at peace. You don't have to wonder if God wants you prosperous because you understand that God has a plan for your life. And he always, always, always wants what's best for you. God desires for you to be successful in every aspect of your life. So you no longer have to wonder. You no longer have to wonder. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your financial status is. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your age, rank, or social security number. Rich folks need Jesus. Poor people need Jesus. Middle class folks still need Jesus. We all need Jesus. It does not matter your status. It does not matter your status in the church, whether you are the pastor, the usher, the musician, or a lay member. It does not matter who you are. You have to know that we all need Jesus. So when doubt tries to rear up its ugly little head, you ought to recognize it. And you have to make up in your mind immediately. I am not going to let the enemy trick me today. The devil is a liar and I'm not going to let him derail me. I'm not going to let him get me thrown off. I am not going to let him sabotage, not just this day, not just my mind, but my life. I will not let him sabotage my life because God has a plan for me. I have a destiny. The young people might rename today's show, Shake Your Haters Off. Because for young folks, that term means that if you are not in support of what I'm doing, you have got to go. I'm trying to get somewhere. I'm about my business. I'm trying to get something accomplished. I am trying to progress. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to live better. And I will not allow anybody to speak negatively about me or my situation. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care what it feels like. And no matter how bleak your situation seems to be, 
No matter how bleak they say, whoever they is to you. No matter how bleak they say your circumstances are. Whether it's a doctor's report or what your mama said. If they are not speaking faith, they're speaking fear. They're talking doubtful and doubt has got to go. So what does doubt look like? You know, we, we, we use the word doubt all the time, but, but really, what does it look like? Well, <clears throat> this is how doubt shows up. It shows up in your words. It shows up in your actions. It shows up in your emotions. You know, when you have those outbursts, when, it, when it's something rough going on or when it's a tough time and you have those little crazy outbursts and everybody in the room kind of look at you with their eyes big like, where that come from? Yeah, that, that's, that's what it looks like. It shows up in your habits. It is truly a stronghold. Doubt will say things like, oh, I, I don't know. Talking slow, looking pitiful. Doubt will even try to take scripture and twist it. Well, you know, long suffering is a fruit of the spirit. You've been going through all your life. Get it together. Stop it. Stop the madness. It also shows up in this way. You you know that your situation is not good and you have to make some changes. But you sit back and play crazy and say, oh, oh don't worry, I'm, I'm just fine. Because really in your head, you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. So I, I, I just may as well be all right. Or you say something like, well, you know, God made me this way. It's just really hard to lose weight. My whole family is just big boned. My whole family has high blood pressure. My whole family has diabetes. It's just in my genetics. No, it's in your plate. It ain't about your genetics. You can stop the madness. You don't have to do everything just because somebody else did it. You don't have to die just because they died of high blood pressure and diabetes. You don't have to accept that. What you need to do is stop eating all the junk you eat. Change your diet. Get some exercise. And stop claiming all these illnesses just because your family died from the same illnesses or because your family members had the same illnesses. You don't have to have them. You ain't got to go crazy and be in a mental hospital just because some other of your family members did. The devil is a liar. You still have a chance to do something about your habits. You still have a chance to do something about your eating disorder. And what's going to have to change is going to have to begin with your thought processes. Because that's really what causes you to eat that way. That's what causes you to be gluttonous. That's what causes you to make a happy plate every time when you've already piled all kinds of food on your plate. Plate just stacked up. It has to start in your mind. You have to change your thought patterns. Now, how then do you dismiss your doubts? It's very simple. You need a renewed mind. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 23 through 25, the Bible says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So see, it's not because I'm so cute. It's not even because I'm so good. But I can keep professing my healing. I can keep professing my deliverance. I can keep professing life and hope and joy. I can keep confessing that I am debt free. It's not because of me, but it's because of God's faithfulness. It's because God is faithful. So I'm not talking about somebody who's new at this. I'm talking about our creator. I'm talking about our deliverer. I'm talking about my master, my joy and sorrow, my hope for tomorrow. Somebody say he's the lily in the valley, the bright and morning star. Somebody else knows him as bread when you're hungry or your friend when you're lonely. He's the living water that will cause me to thirst no more. He's my peace in the midst of the storm. He is, I am, that sent me. See, I can talk about him because I know about him. 
And because of that, you can't make me doubt him. The old people say, you can't make me doubt him because I already know too much about him. God is faithful. So therefore, you have to remind yourself of who he is. That means I have to go back to, to when I first believed. That means I have to go back in my mind to when he healed me before. That means I have to go back in my mind to when he provided for me before. I have to go back and think back about when he did it before. Whatever it is for you, he did it before. You know that he's done it before. There is nothing that you are facing that is new under the sun. So you have an assurance he did it before. You have to know he can do it again. The old folks say, go back to the old landmark. Go back to when this thing with me and Jesus was first started and how I felt then and how I was running for the Lord then. Think back to when you first got saved and how you were excited, the joy and the love that you felt, the peace that came over you. Go back to that place. Go back to when it was just you and Jesus. Remember who it is that's been in your life all this time. Remember who it is that brought about the change in the first place. He is the same God. And because he said his word will not return to him void, it's going to accomplish what he sent it out to do. Why is that? Because he's faithful. He is faithful to perform exactly what he said he would do. Whatever he promised you, whatever he told you, you have to know that God is yet faithful. He is still on the throne. And he can do it again. I know he'll do it again. No matter what your circumstance looks like. Don't, don't go by what it looks like. Don't go by how you feel at the moment. But know that Jesus is is all you need. So therefore, my words and my actions have to be those that are purposeful and about faith. You can't just be walking around willy-nilly and hoping something will happen. No, you have to be purposeful. Because see, doubt is simply an expression of fear. And you have to combat fear with faith. And we already know faith is an action word. It's an action word. You can't say you have faith and you sit around talking about, well, I'm waiting on blessings to fall from the sky. No, you have to apply some actions. You have to open your mouth. You have to speak faith. You need to get moving. Get to moving. Operate in faith. So now. We're going to go back to Jairus. Jairus had a situation. And by all accounts, hey, you know, it, lo it looked bleak. It looked rough. It looked dim. He had a need and he came to Jesus. He came to the one who could fix his problem. He wasn't worried about his status. He wasn't worried about his title. He wasn't worried about his finances. He was concerned about his daughter being healed. He had one focus at that moment. Sometimes, people of God, many of us need something from God. But we refuse to escape our norm. Whether the reason is because of doubt. Whether the reason is because of fear. Whether the reason is a lack of knowledge. Or maybe we're just comfortable. Maybe we've just become complacent. For example. During praise and worship at church. You've just become so comfortable and so complacent with sitting in your seat and watching the service as a spectator. Watching the people who are up praising and worshiping. You can't even clap your hands because you've just become complacent. 
or maybe during offering time. You have a need. But you continue to put a dollar in the basket because you think you're giving the money to the pastor. Because you think you're hurting somebody because you just put a dollar in. But you just spent $300 on a new weave. What about during prayer time? When there's an altar call and people are praying, people are getting delivered. Once again, you're sitting as a spectator. You become complacent. You become comfortable. But guess what? When you need something different, like Jairus, you have to do something different. And several of us can quote scriptures all day long, but we're not applying them. Again, when you need something different, you have to do something different. Jairus didn't have time to be concerned about pride or who was looking. And with many of us, with the way that your situation is right now, knowing that you have such a need from God, you don't have time. To be walking around in pride. You don't have time to be wondering who's looking when you get ready to go to the altar for prayer. You ain't got time. Your situation is bleak. Your situation looks dim. You need God to move now. When the situation is serious, you have to focus on what it is that you need from God. And you have to make up in your mind. That nothing and nobody can come at you with negativity. Don't allow anything or anybody to come at you with negative words or words of doubt or words of fear. Or trying to make you think that that's just the way life is or that's just the way life is supposed to be. Girl, that's just how men are. No, it's not. You've accepted some foolery. Or for you brothers who are listening. Well, you know, all women are sneaky. The devil is a liar. All women are not sneaky. That's just been who you've been dealing with. You have to let the devil know. Oh, no. Not today, devil. Not today, devil. You ain't fixing to cause me to miss my blessing by being negative or talking negative or hanging out with negative folks. You better get out of my face. You better go on. And why is that? Because words have power. The scripture says that the power of death and life are in your tongue. It's in the tongue. So if you're not speaking life and you're speaking death or you're speaking doubt or you're trying to tell me what I can't accomplish because of my race or you're trying to tell me what I can't do because I'm a woman. Or you're trying to tell me who ain't going to help me and who ain't going to do this and who ain't going to do that. Or the reason that God isn't going to move according to you. I don't have time to fool with you. We don't have anything to talk about. And we have to learn to do like Jairus and just trust Jesus even in the midst of the naysayers. Even in the midst of those who are doubtful. Even in the midst of those who say, well, you can go on now. Because your situation is already dead. You can go on now. There's no hope now. There's no hope for you, Jairus. Because she's already dead. You have to just trust Jesus and dismiss those people who are not on your side. Either you're with me or against me. It's real simple for me. And if you're not here to pray me through, if you're not here to support my cause, if we're not like-minded, if you're not here to believe with me, then you can go. And see, the mistake that a lot of young people make is a lot of times young people think that everybody is their friend. And likewise, the mistake that older people make is you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. They hurt yours. Because they're speaking doubt to you. They're speaking fear to you. They're basically telling you not to trust God. Well, guess what? If it's a matter of our friendship versus my destiny, 
if you really care, if you really want the best for me, then you don't want me down in the pits with you. I got to be down because you down. I got to be depressed because you depressed. If you really care about me, then you don't want me to be broke just because you're broke. So we can be broke together. What are we going to do? Talk about it? If you really care about me, then you don't want me in a dead situation just because you are. No, that's selfish. You want me to be miserable and you're trying to make me miserable with you because you are. The truth is, misery loves company. But I refuse to be in dead situations. I refuse to be broke. I refuse to be depressed. I refuse to have marital problems. Or anything else just to make you feel better. I refuse to be walking around proclaiming my issues but not proclaiming the goodness of God. Just because you want me to be down with you. You want me to be depressed with you. Oh, I thought we was cool. Yeah, we might have been up until you tried to depress me just because you depressed. We might have been up until you told me that I can't get that job because I don't have this or that or I'm the wrong color or I'm the wrong gender. We might have been cool up until you told me we going to stay broke and be in the ghetto together. The devil is a lie. You have got to go. If you're telling me to look at my situation and not look at my God, you have got to go. If you're trying to hinder me from getting where God has called me to be because you don't think or you don't feel or you don't see, That's why you ain't God. Because his thoughts about me are good thoughts. His plans for me are good plans. What he sees and what he wants for me are positive things. And if what you're talking about is negative and I need to hang out with you so we can be negative together, you can forget it. I don't have time. You will not hinder my destiny. We have to make up in our mind, people of God. Don't let anything or anybody, whether it's your parents or your next door neighbor, whether it's the person that's sitting next to you at work or your boss. Some people have bosses who tell them, oh, no, you'll never get out of here. Oh, no, you don't have what it takes. You're not this and you're not that. Again, the devil is a liar. You better take what the enemy means for bad and let God work it to your good. It may be true. They may say that you need a degree for that job. If you can go to school, go. But don't you know that promotion, elevation comes from God? I don't care what that boss tells you. You don't have what it takes or you have the wrong attitude. Then you talk to God about it. You may be expressing some things or saying some things or doing some things that sound like you have the wrong attitude. You talk to God about it, but I'm not going to be hindered and never be promoted because you say I have the wrong attitude. Are you trying to help me? Or are you trying to hinder me and make me stay here under you so you can keep your thumb on me? We have to always be watchful. Are you trying to help me by telling me? All these negative things that I don't have and I can't do in the church. Or are you pointing some things out so we can pray about it and, 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 and work through this together, spouse? Are you telling your spouse everything that's wrong with them and nothing is right with them? Oh, no, you have to stop that mess. Those words are harmful. And sometimes even with your spouse, your children, your parents, people who are close to you, it could be your best friend. If they're telling you all these negative things and they're not praying for you, praying with you, that's a hindrance. And you will not hinder me. 
I'm going toward my destiny. I'm going where God wants me to be. I'm going where God will have me to be. So therefore, you got to go. Let's look at the example that Jesus gives us in verses 36 through 43. I have eight points. So if you're taking notes, we're looking at verses 36 through 43. The first thing is, when Jesus got ready to go to Jairus' house, it was a crowd of folks all around him because he had been performing miracles. And many times when miracles are going on, it is a whole bunch of folks watching. It is a whole bunch of folks watching to see what's going to happen or what's next. What is God doing now? But some of them are not in the crowd because they're on your side. Some of them are in the crowd because they nosy. Some of them are in the crowd because they want something to talk about. And even as it pertains to the work of God, notice that Jesus didn't even take all of his disciples with him. So point number one is you can't take everybody with you. Everybody can't go where God is taking you. Everybody doesn't have the capability to withstand where God is taking you. Everybody can't go. Point number two. Pay no attention to what they say. Who is they? They is whoever in your life is not speaking faith. They is whoever is in your life that's not speaking the word of God and not trusting God. Pay no attention to what they say. Because if they don't believe God, they're not speaking faith. They're likely speaking fear. They're likely speaking doubt. They're likely talking negative. Those people that came to Jairus said, oh, quit bothering Jesus. She dead now. What? This is when I need Jesus most. Because there is nothing that you can do in and of yourself when your situation is dead. It was bad enough when she was sick. But now Jairus' daughter is dead. And they talk about, oh, quit bothering Jesus. You can leave him alone now. That's what some folks are saying about your marriage. You don't need to go to counseling. That's been over. He cheated. You don't need to go to counseling. Your parents have passed on. I understand they abused you, but you don't need nothing. You just got to get over it. What? I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care what it feels like. But again, point number two is pay no attention to what they say. You got to know what God says. And that brings us to point number three. You have to call it what God calls it. You have to speak the word. You can't walk around speaking doubt. You can't walk around speaking in fear. You can't walk around always talking about what it looks like in the natural. You have to call it what God calls it. You have to speak the word over every situation in your life. Point number four, you have got to put doubt out. When Jesus came and all those folks were standing around crying and wailing because the girl was dead, To me, if Jesus showed up and said she was asleep, I'd be like, oh, okay, Jesus. My bad. I misunderstood. But that's not what they did. The Bible said that they were even laughing. Like, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> he tripping. Really? Jesus put doubt out. He put those people out. And we have to get rid of doubt. We have to put it out. Out of our minds. Out of our mouths. And the way that we do that is by faith. You derail the doubt with your faith. Speak faith. Then number five. Point number five is surround yourself with others who are faithful. Surround yourself with other folks who are confessing the word. 
You can't be my prayer partner if we ain't believing God for the same thing. You believe in one thing and I'm believing something else. You need to be in agreement with me. Be surrounded by those who are also faithful. Be surrounded by those by those who are also going with God. Because see, the word says where two or three are gathered, that God is in the midst. You better ask the three Hebrew boys. They were thrown into the fiery furnace because of their beliefs and they refused to bow down to an idol God because they knew who their God was. But by the time the guards came back to look, when they looked down in there, it was not just the three Hebrew boys who were there, but the Bible says that they saw four men and they were loosed. So they threw these three little boys in there who were tied up. But they were not alone. They were in agreement. They were trusting God. They were speaking faith. And God showed up in their situation right there with them. And he didn't let any hurt, harm, or danger come to them. And that's how God operates. You got to be surrounded with some folks who are in agreement with you. Some folks who are faithful to God. Faithful to his word. Faithful to his promises. People who are also believing God just like you. And then point number six, you have to stand in your authority. You have to speak life into your situation. Stand up in your authority. Stop sitting back and somebody telling you, God ain't going to do this and God ain't going to do that. You got to get out there and hustle. You going to do something illegal? Because they said no. You have to be able to stand up and say, oh no, God is my provider. I'm not going to do anything outside the will of God. Oh no, God is my source. Walk in the authority that he's given you. Call back the word. Speak life in your situation. God is going to give me that job. God is going to give me that promotion. God is going to send my spouse. God is going to save my children. God is going to bless my spouse. Speak life in your situation. Point number six, you cannot share your blessings with everybody. Guess what? After Jesus Brought the girl to life. He said, daughter arise. According to some scripture, a little girl arise. When God has brought you up, when God has brought you back, when God has brought you out. You can't even talk about all those details with everybody. Don't you know all they remember? I remember when you didn't have. I remember when you couldn't do. I remember when you wouldn't. That's all they remember. So you can't always talk to them about everything that God is. And you talk about the goodness of God, but to tell them, girl, I didn't have a car. Guess what they go tell everybody? You know, she ain't had no car before she riding around now in that Jaguar. Before she was catching the bus. That's all they remember. They ain't telling nothing else. They ain't saying, honey, God really blessed her. So you can't share your blessing with everybody. Jesus told Jairus, don't even tell everybody what happened. He told him, don't even tell everybody because you cannot share your blessing with everybody. What happened to Joseph with his coat of many colors? He had been blessed with this coat from his father, but even his own brothers resented him for it, threw him in a pit and left him for dead. You cannot share your blessings with everybody. You can't bring everybody to your new house that God blessed you with because somebody in the crowd thinking, hmm, she ought not to have this. That look better in my house. And we wonder how somebody break in. Or you keep riding around with these folks in your car that God blessed you with because they want you to take them to the store to buy alcohol. They want you to take them to the strip club. Well, I'm just sharing my blessing. No, you being foolish. Now, if they want to ride to church, that's different. They're trying to get you to do something else. Like you, you cannot share everything that God has done. You know, God delivered me from being a whoremonger. You know, God delivered me. Yeah, God did deliver you. But you cannot tell everybody what you used to. Everybody don't need to know that. 
Because every time they look at you, you know she used to be out there on them streets. You know she was, she was wow, footloose and fancy free. They don't see you as the man or woman of God that you are now. You cannot share your blessing with everybody. Talk about the goodness of God. But some of those details, we have to learn to leave out, depending on who we're talking to. Because everybody's not on your team. Everybody does not have your best interests at heart. And then point number eight, you have to feed your faith and starve your fears. Jesus told the parents to give the little girl something to eat. Now, if that wasn't further proof that she had been brought back to life, because ghosts don't eat. Ghosts do not eat. They feed the little girl and she up walking around. Go on, give her something to eat. Go on and do the things you normally do. Because Jesus said, she's alive. She brought back. Jesus will bring life to your dead situations. He is all you need. See, God has a plan for me and for you. And he has a journey for us to take. And because I'm on a mission, doubt has to get out and stay out. You're going to have to change your locks. You're going to have to make up in your mind. Doubt does not live here anymore. He's been evicted. And you'll no, no longer feed him. You'll no longer rearrange your life to accommodate doubt. The Holy Ghost has taken up residency. And doubt and the Holy Ghost will not share the same space. Because a divided house can't stand. So you have to decide today to choose faith or to choose fear because you can't do both. Doubt is debilitating and it will cause you to be stuck, stagnant, dead, stinking, not progressing. See, hanging out with doubt is like being on a bad date. You know, it's not going well. You didn't like him in the first place, but you just let him take you out to fill a void, to fill in some time. You didn't have anything else to do. You just wanted a meal, whatever the case. But what will happen if you're not careful is you'll let doubt stay around. You'll let that bad date stay around. And you'll start trying to fix him up and make excuses for his appearance. Make excuses for his little outbursts and the little things he does. Make excuses for the fact that he goes everywhere with a red cup. And then after that, he'll be planting seeds in your mind. And now those seeds have multiplied. And the worse he gets... You don't even really know how to get rid of them. It's getting worse and worse. You know why? Because that stronghold that you have for loneliness opened that door that only Jesus can close. You have to be honest with yourself and honest with God and let God heal this area in your life. The devil is a liar and he'll tell you you're not worthy. Nobody wants you. You may as well just be stuck with him. He's the only one that want to take you out anyway. He'll tell you nobody cares about you. So you begin to accept any old thing in your life. You better get rid of him at the door. Get rid of that bad date when he comes to the door. Get rid of doubt from the go. Don't even let him in. Don't get in the car with him. Don't entertain it. And don't make excuses for why you're doing it. I don't owe you an explanation. I'm not hanging out with you. Why is that? Because it will multiply. It will grow. If it stays long enough. So when doubt hinders your destiny, put him out, out of your mind, out of your emotions, out of your actions, and out of your life. This has been Eve's Corner. Thank you so much for joining today. If this show has been a blessing to you, I'm asking that you sow a seed into this ministry. Simply go to my website, CampbellMinistries.com, and click on the donate button. Then pray about becoming a covenant partner. As you commit to a monthly donation into this ministry, I am committed to praying for you and keeping you lifted up before the Lord. We're doing some great things in the community. We offer career readiness and career relevance trainings. We also offer business etiquette trainings, such as executive presence and effective communication seminars for churches and for the community at large. 
Lastly, we also have your big sister's closet, which provides prom dresses to young ladies who otherwise might not be able to attend their senior prom otherwise. So remember, Campbell Ministries is doing some great things in the community. And if you're in the Jackson, Mississippi area, the Word Full Gospel Baptist Church is a mighty good place to serve. We're located at 3023 Percy V. Simpson Drive. And we just want to love on you and teach you about the Word of God in its fullness. Thank you so much for joining. And until next time, be blessed. Oh, oh, oh.